So what happens in this room stays in this room. But I'll probably just preach. <laughs> All right, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your goodness and your love, God. I thank you for the saints here, God. You've called us to increase intimacy and fellowship with you, God. There is opportunity here. God, you're not moved one iota by this pandemic. You sit sovereign on the throne in control. God, and ready to bless your children that want to seek you. Help us to seek you, Lord, with all our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're starting a series here on uh, the book of 1 John. Going to be studying the book of 1 John. Um, I find the book of 1 John a very difficult book. Uh, I don't stand alone with that. Uh, one of my favorite preachers uh, that I've listened to over the years is uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll. I, I, way back in my Platteville days, I remember on 88.1 back when I think that was about the only radio station, you know, he every day I'd listen to him and just so encouraging, so inspiring. Uh, so loving, so gracious, and, and always did a, a, a thorough examination of whatever he taught on. And I remember him, I was listening to a teaching uh, from Chuck Swindoll lately, and he was talking about the first time that he, it, it was the first attempt that he made to teach. It was a Sunday school setting, and it was his first attempt to teach, and he decided to teach on First John because it looked like a cute little book, and it was just kind of tucked in there, kind of right after Peter. And it looked kind of, you know, the words didn't look too hard. And, and he taught in that book, so it was his first teaching. And he said, if I would run into those three people that were in the Sunday school class, I'd just have three words for them, and that's, I am sorry. <laughs> and so what he's saying is, there's actually some pretty difficult concepts. Some of the stuff that I'm going to say is uh, also going to be... Uh, conclusions are going to be somewhat controversial, okay? I come into this teaching here um, with a tremendous amount of humility, and I, I have no doubt there's going to be things that I don't understand about this book, okay? Uh, Chuck Swindoll, as he was sharing this about the difficulty he found, he said he was about in his 50s, he said, well, maybe in, when I'm 70, I'll get it. Well, Swindoll's 70 now, so I should probably reach out to him and ask him, but I have no idea how to reach out to him. So, <laughs> um, but anyways, we are talking about the book of 1 John. I've entitled this The Examination, okay? This, I believe, the book of 1 John is about the examination of believers. I don't know if you've ever been in college, and I, you know, really wasn't a great student. I was a student, but not a great student. Do you ever have one of these tests where you, the teacher passes out the test, and you look at the test, and you're like, what's this? <laughs> this isn't what, you know, this has nothing to do with what we learned, you know, and you're completely thrown off. Well, the, the book of 1 John is an examination for believers, but it's not like that. It's from the Lord, and he knows exactly how to examine us. 
And it's an important, I think it's very timely too. If we could hit the next slide here, I want to just talk about a bit of the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the how. Who? Who wrote it? Even though he's not titled here, it was, it was really accepted by almost everybody uh, that it was the Apostle John. The Apostle John was the writer of five books, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. He also wrote the book of Revelation, uh, and he also wrote the Gospel of John. Um, it, it's important to note this. This is a, uh, and we'll, we'll get into this as you can see later. It's actually a very late book. Okay, um, it's also important to note this that the Apostle John was the last living apostle. Very, very interesting. You think about, think about that. One, his wisdom, somebody that walked with Lord, but two, every one of his friends had died a martyr's death. You think of that. He was writing to the, the timing of this book, and this, this isn't, you know, I'm not a, <laughs> this is research, okay, it's a late book. 95, 80 to 105, around that time, it was a late book. We're, we're looking at second and third generation Christians. And what, what we have here is complacent. We have complacent believers. You know how quickly, what is really more exciting than talking to somebody that's a new convert? They're excited. They got the Spirit of God in Everything's fresh. Kind of like Pentecost. <laughs> the fire of Pentecost. You know? There was fire in the room. There was excitement. But we're human and we have sin in the body. And that fire, that fire uh, is reduced at times to a flicker. And this is what is going on. It, it, the, the initial fire of Pentecost was reduced. So we have complacent believers. It's a general letter. It's not written to a specific church. I really do believe the Apostle John had a, uh, he was kind of a rock star type of status. I mean, just because of who he was. I mean, he was unique as the last living apostle. Interestingly, there's something else going on. Um, at this time, not only were the believers growing complacent, but there was a heresy that was very significant, that was, that was really running wild. And that heresy was the heresy of Gnosticism. We're going to talk about that a bit today. You have to be patient with me, so in my introduction... We're not going to get to a verse in 1 John for a bit. <laughs> okay, so just be, please, I appreciate your patience. So what is this book about? This book, I'm probably going to change this list. Um, but these are some things that are running through my mind right now as I think about it. It's about intimacy. It's about truth. It's about obedience. It's about love. It's about confidence. 
Those are some of the themes. I need to take a closer look at that, too. Um, when, uh, like I said, it was a late book, likely the last word. This is interesting. The last, it, likely the last word, real close. There's some controversy over when it was, but it was late. It is noted that the John was exiled to the island of Patmos. He was in Ephesus, was exiled to the island of Patmos because of the word of God. He was incarcerated. This is a brother that was old, weathered, and worn, but joyous. That brings us hope, doesn't that? Think about it. He was likely in his 90s. And not a guy that lived a cushy life in air conditioning. I mean, he was sentenced to the island of Patmos as a prisoner. Think of the emotional, the, the emotional pain just because he was in love with God. Don't you think it hurt him as he's seen all his co-workers lose their lives for the gospel? And some of them in heinous ways. But amazing, this apostle standing strong. This is why I believe he really, well, he deserved a rock star. Probably a horrible analogy of a rock star. But um, he deserved a, uh, a good hearing. And we can hang with him today. <laughs> As we look at what he said, we're going to hear from him. We're going to hear from him, this, this obedient Christian. And of course, also, of course, that was inspired through the Word of God. So John, in his unique experiences and who he was in his unique person, of course, the, the Word of God was speaking through him as he wrote this letter. So we believe he was in Ephesus, still laboring. Interesting. He must not have been on an early retirement program. He was working. Boy, I'm 55. I guess my best years are still ahead of me. Still laboring joyously. Isn't that powerful? I haven't even really done, faced any of the pains of ministry and, the, and you know, maybe even the departures of people or mistakes that I've made or others have made or whatever. Really, it, it's such a thimble full of suffering compared to what John has endured. And yet he's walking and he teaches us how to walk victoriously. There's hope there. Because the same God that the Apostle John served is the same God that we serve. And the same God that will fill us with all good things. Why? Um, let, me, let me back up a second to the who. I think this is very important. I, um, and as I said, there's going to be some controversial things that I share. And I, I just ask us to, let's just really lean into this book with a, uh, with a heart of humility and obedience, that we're just going to really seek God together, even where we disagree. So why I say that, what, what I want to say is here is, there's really no evidence that this book was written to unbelievers. Yet I hear a lot of commentary them talking about how it really more addressing intruders into the church. Now, if you have that, you know, uh, false believers, I really don't think that's the heart of the book. Okay, so some of you probably do. Okay, if you, and that's okay. But I want you to hear me out as I look at, as specifically as we look at the fact that I don't see any real 
evidence that this was written to unbelievers. So I think we take God's word for what it says, that it was written to believers. The gospel of John was written to that we might have life, that the gospel would proclaim. This was written, and we're going to see as to why it was written. I see five reasons here, five reasons, and in the first chapter we have a couple of them given, but I really think the first one is this is an examination of fellowship, okay? And, it's an, and these, these are specific verses that say why these, and we're going to study these as they come, as these verses come, that these were, that it was written for fellowship of believers, for the joy of believers, that the believers would overcome sin, that the believers would have discernment over the air of the ways, not only the air of this way, as a general air, the air of any ways that are coming our way. I think there's some air, uh, much air today, as much as there was then, uh, and that there would be assurance how is this book written? It is very challenging. It uses absolute terms, right? You see that? It's repetitive. You'll notice as it talks about love, it'll come back to love, but it'll add more information. You follow what I'm saying? So it's, it's, not, it's actually a book that's hard to outline. So I think we just need to enjoy it, receive it, battle with it, and obey God. That's what God's calling us to, a heart of obedience. Okay. Okay, I'm going to share this as we, before we head on to the next slide here. I really, of all of my research, I really did like Chuck Swindoll's summary of the theme of the book of 1 John. I think this is worth, worth noting and considering as we study it. And I encourage everybody to crack this book open. Pray and really study it. Let's study it together. Short book. If you read it every day, read the whole book and then read chapter 1. The next day, read the whole book, then read chapter 2. Next day, read the whole book, then read chapter 3. We can study it together. You come up with points of disagreement, I may very, very well may be wrong. <laughs> Just text out to me, believe me, I guarantee you there's some things I don't have understanding on that I'm fighting for. I recently, at, at this age, I recently have come to some theological shifts and some difference of understanding of this book that has greatly helped me. I'm going to be sharing some of those. As you have some input, text me, email me. I'm not fairly busy right now. I'm not highly available but if you email me or text me or call me, I will get back with you and we can discuss some of your, your findings in First John and we can study this together with a heart of unity, humility, and obedience. We can come to a better knowledge of our Lord. So Chuck Swindoll, living in fellowship with God who is light and love. Okay, if we can hit the next slide here. I want to talk about something very significant that was going on uh, and that was a, a heresy that was uh, really strongly influencing all John's region of churches uh, that he was involved with because he was also, I, I believe, pastoring at Ephesus, but also I think he had 
kind of bishop-like responsibilities over a region of churches, and that is Gnosticism. Um, Gnosticism teaches that uh, what they taught was a, a special knowledge, kind of like a silver bullet knowledge. They had a lot of secrets, okay? And they were in the know. Now, let me compare this to some other words. So, so a Gnostic would say, hey, you know, I understand, you know, yeah, come here, I understand you, what you believe about Jesus, but I think I can further enlighten you, okay? Because I have special knowledge. Let me compare that to, an, to agnosticism, uh, which said that there may be a God, but we are ignorant if there is a God. Um, there's a, this is very fashionable, agnosticism, uh, that there may, you know, maybe there's a God, but we are ignorant of God. Of course, we have general revelation that points that there is a God. Um, and I'm trying to think of the, there was one, I think, 15th, 16th century uh, preacher, maybe it'll come to my mind, that was saying, hey, you know, there's, it's very fashionable to say that I'm an agnostic, but really, an agnostic is an ignoramus. And I'm not trying to be rude, but, but his thought was, if you're ignorant of something, it's really nothing, you know, if God is there, he can point himself, he can point himself to you. Seek him. And then we have atheism, which says there is no God, which is a, which really, I'm sure I've shared this before, but it's, that's an interesting thing. That is a really bold statement, because, which is a claim of omniscience, all-knowingness, because if you say there is no God, that means you know everything, because there could be a God that you don't know about. So a true atheist would be really making themselves as God. And of course, in Psalms it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Okay, so, so, they, so we battle with different things, and Gnosticism was very... Uh, prevalent in the church. And it was, like so many things, it was a union of Christian and pagan, actually a union of Christian, pagan, and Jewish uh, doctrines. And so the, this is important to note that because I ran into a, a, a heresy here recently that I went and looked at their website. And the website was spot on with everything I believe. Spot on. But let me tell you what they taught. They taught that we could be so connected to the vine. I taught about being the vine, right? If you're connected to the vine, you will sin less. That is true. But what this heresy taught, this modern heresy taught, that I am so connected to the vine, I don't remember the last time I sinned. There's a problem there. And by the way, we can raise the dead at our command. Okay? So this, these heresies still exist. But my point is, is that the theology, if you just read the theology, well, this is right on there, but there's a real problem there. So we got to be discerning as believers. Okay? It's not just 
the word, we got to watch what they say, watch what they do, and we got to be aware of these things so we're not sucked into a false theology. Well, this generation of Christians was sucked in to this Gnosticism. Let me tell you a little bit about this Gnosticism. I'm going to tell you a little bit because that's how much I know. <laughs> really a little bit. I could certainly use some more study, but it was a fascinating study. Um, the Gnostics taught that spirit and matter, which is evil, is strictly separated. So what that means is there's, and, and this was taken, so this was taken a couple of different ways. There's actually camps in Gnosticism. I'm trying to think of the word asceticism or something like that, where the actual brand here of Gnosticism. But spirit and matter, so the spiritual side of us and the physical side. So the matter is evil. The body is evil. Okay? Um, and there's a strict separation from that for, between each other. So that could be taken a couple ways. One camp would say, okay, matter is evil. Everything in the body is evil. Therefore, I am not going to do anything that would indulge in the flesh. Okay, so an example of this is there is a monk. There, it was said about a monk that the monk that had the most lice in his hair was the most godly because he had, <laughs> liter this is literal, this was true, because he didn't care, you know, there's a separate, you know, he was so, uh, so uh, against his body. And sometimes we become, how we can practice this is we become everything that's fun, everything that God gives us, you know, uh, we think it's evil, okay? Um, we see that sometimes. Another way that this is practiced, and this is licentiousness, where people would say, well, they make a distinction between the spiritual, this is a very, kind of hard to get your head around some of this stuff, between the spiritual, okay, so you have a spiritual side and a physical side. The spiritual side, you feed, right? The physical is evil, don't worry about it. Get that? So if you, if you got involved in um, premarital sex, or you got involved in orgies, or you, in our day you got involved in pornography, don't worry about it. Because matter is evil. Okay, so this was a theology that was, uh, was going on. And, but the spirit, just feed your spirit. So two things were going on. This is called a, this would be called licentiousness. Right? Where we, where we you know, hey, you know, I, I'm, we could, here's a modern day approach to that. Okay? Um, we could... And think of a good good way to present this. Okay, here'd be an example. You come upon the theology that you are free in Christ, and you understand that you are free in Christ. You understand that Christ paid the penalty for your sin, and you get incredibly engrossed in this fact. And it's a good thing to get engrossed in that I am clean, that I am free. Okay, and you focus on that. And it's a good thing to focus on. But if you would focus on that in an extreme, not taking in the account, the rest of the Word of God, you could say, I'm free. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. Don't judge me. Hey, I'm not going to come to church. I'm not going to fellowship. Don't worry about it. I'm free in Christ. No, that's called disobedience. You follow this? So this, 
in Gnosticism, it was actually taken both ways where they would, the more they beat their bodies, they thought I'm holy or no, hey, I can do whatever I want. So, and we see those two extremes today where people engage in licentiousness where because, and they, and they utilize theology their theology to do that. And both, both sides uses their theology. But it's an imbalance. And it's not taking, not taking the full word of God as we're called to the full message. Okay. So, in addition to this, um, so follow the matter here. Follow the issue here and where the, their mindset were. So these people were, hey, come here. Your follower? Cool. High five. So am I. Did you hear the word? The special word? Oh, you didn't hear this yet? Hey, sit down. Hey, you know. So it was deceptive type of stuff. It was prideful stuff. I, I, I see this gnosis. This We got to be careful. No matter where we land theologically, we can have this Gnostic type of mentality that if we put our value in our specific understanding, our specific theology that we can become Gnostic in our beliefs where we filter everything through and we think we have special knowledge because of our understanding of, the, of our theology. So this is what they taught. Because spirit and matter was evil, Jesus was not incarnate. His humanity was only apparent and his sufferings were unreal. That's what was being taught. And it was taught generally. This was, this was an encroach. Houston, we got a problem. We got, this is not just a you know, little theological bend here. The problem is a desecration of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and who he was. And this was going on. You'd think this poor old man in his 90s that had suffered so much, you'd think he, you'd think he, you'd think he really should have to put up with this fight. Oh, you bet he would. See, a God... <laughs> He was so connected to Jesus Christ. This brother wasn't quitting until he couldn't get out of bed. <laughs> that brings me great encouragement. It was taught that Jesus was not incarnate. His humanity was only apparent. And his sufferings, it's kind of hard to get your head around that. His humanity was only apparent. His sufferings were unreal. Well, that sounds kind of weird. What do you mean his humanity was only apparent? Well, he's kind of like a phantom, you know? It's just, he only appeared to be real. Okay, because they were committed to their doctrine, this is how they made it worse. So look at his life, catch this. His death is life for many, they taught. Well, that sounds good. But it views this life-giving in terms of imparting the gnosis, the knowledge, not Removing sin. Problem. 
major problem. So I think it's really important. I know it was helpful. Is it mandatory that we understand about Gnosticism? Some say it is, actually, to understand the book. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I think it's very helpful for me. Okay. Um, so there was an attack. There was a serious attack going on. Would you consider that a serious attack? I likewise think there's an attack going on right now against the church. And I think it involves this pandemic. Now, it's different in that it's not per se a theological thing, but let me tell you what I think this, the, the attack is against fellowship. It's an attack against fellowship. I read in Ephesians here. I'm in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now hear me. I am not saying that the pandemic is the devil's pandemic. I'm not saying that. But I will take a stand to say that he'll, he'll use it. He'll use it. I asked Jack what a summary it was. He just did a very good teaching on the adversary. I said, give me a one-word summary. I do this to my coworkers all the time. They hate it because I won't stop bugging them until they give it to me. Give me a one-word summary of your last series. Know the enemy in your midst. Can we be separated and be encouraged? Look at the last phrase here of Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. A scheme I see. No, this is Brian Mossman here and my interpretation. Okay, I respect your interpretation. I'm just giving you my insight. So I'm giving, so what I'm sharing here, there's going to be some opinion and discernment of what I see. Okay. Um, so I see our, our initial separation, our initial separation into a cause of, this is some things I see, you guys. I think we need to stand up and pay attention to this. Cause of indifference, loneliness, hard-heartedness, misinformation, separation, and division. Now you guys can think about that. This is what I see our initial separation causing indifference, loneliness, hard-heartedness, misinformation, separate, separation, and division. Not the pandemic, the adversary and our flesh. Because won't our adversary take every single opportunity to divide? But our God is bigger. 
our circumstances could also take equal note of this, could also cause extreme concern for the saints, a renewed and maybe first time ever connectedness to God, clarity from God, a new prayer life, prayer that is born new, new love and a greater unity, a greater desire and longing for the unity of the saints of God. It could be both, depending what we do. Not depending what the pastors do. It's dependent on what they do, but it's also dependent on what you do. What are you going to do? Hebrews 3.12 says this, See to it, brothers. It doesn't say see to it, leaders. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Does separation cause us to become hard? Oh, absolutely. I'm above and beyond that. That is arrogance. But the Word of God, here's a direct command. How are we going to carry this out, folks? How are you going to carry it? How am I going to carry it? How are we going to carry it? Maybe we've never carried this responsibility. It is time. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you, none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I won't put up with it. I will do battle. Will you do battle? Will you fight for the saints? You may not know how. Then ask for help. Will you do battle? Will you encourage the saints? I want to remind us, if we can hit the next slide here, of who we are. Who the church is. And nothing diminishes. No pandemic, nothing diminishes. The loss of John's friends. The Apostle John didn't diminish it. Him being Exile to Patmos, his old age didn't diminish his responsibility. Nothing diminished, dismissed it, or nothing diminished it. And I'm not going to say any more D words for a little bit here. So in the examination, we got to remember who we are. Pandemic or no pandemic, we are the we are a family. We love each other, not just our group. We are a family. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We are a body. We work together. Are you a worker in the kingdom? Are you working together to build God's institution, which is the church, not our clique, the church? We are an army. Are you a warrior? Are you cowering? Are you doing battle? Are your brothers and sisters doing battle? But you're not doing battle because you're engaging in other things and you're engaging in civilian things, but you're not doing battle. (coughs) 
We need to do battle. We are a bride. Nothing changes. The pandemic doesn't change us. We are lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ in this time right now. Whatever you're going through, whatever is your love for God increasing. We are the bride of Christ. So now we turn to the book of 1 John. If we want to hit this next slide. Under the, under the understanding that there was an attack going on. Under the understanding that the church had grown old and joyless. And they were, had lost heart for God. The Apostle John comes in. He doesn't address it to any one church. The general letter for all the area, to, and, and it's for us equally. He has something to say. He has something to say to this church, and he's not backing down. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. What's going on there? Oh, you said Jesus wasn't only was apparently real? Guess what? I laid my head on his chest. He is real. Look at this last phrase in verse 1. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The Gnostics thought they had special knowledge and a special word, and he's coming in saying, guess what? You were wrong. He was fully man, fully God. But look at that last phrase, but this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The word, the message, the story of life is Jesus Christ. He is the message to the whole world. He's the story. You're looking for a special silver bullet theology? It is Jesus Christ. And if you deviate from who he is and either his person or his, him being deity, you have deviated from the gospel. That's the special message. It's Jesus. Does Jesus make your heart sing? He is the Word, the story of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you which was with the Father, which was with the Father, now we have now we see it here. Now we're getting a clearer picture of Jesus. They believe, the Gnostics believe that Jesus was deity. But they didn't believe he was fully human. Not good enough. We want the real Jesus. And if you don't worship the real Jesus, if you don't worship the real Jesus, you won't have fellowship with God. You won't be as rewarded as you need to be. 
we didn't know the real Jesus. I recalled in the book of Galatians, you know, I think it's really good when we do book studies. I like both book and topical, but the one thing the book studies, it makes us take on some verses that we normally wouldn't want to take on. But I love, of all the verses in Galatians, this just blew me away. I don't know what hit me about it, but it has these elements of the humanity and the deity of Jesus. Galatians 6, 4 through 7, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. God sent his son, fully God. Born of a woman, fully man. To redeem those under the laws, he purchased us. That we might receive the full rights of sons. You see God's sovereignty at the exact right time. And God, in his sovereignty, blessing us. Blessing the, the entire world with Jesus Christ who redeems us, who purchases us. More, because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So we see all of Trinity blessing us in the sovereignty of God in this section of Scripture here in Galatians. We have all of Trinity, saints, to be obedient behind us, to be obedient, to turn our life around, to repent from what's holding us back, to repent from mediocrity, to turn from ignorance, and to turn to the living God, the Word, the message of life. We look to the last phrase here, the last couple of verses. We proclaim to you, we're, we're seeing a very explicit reason, one of the explicit reasons why the book of 1 John was written in verse 3 here. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, the last living apostle, a beacon of light in increasingly dark times to a wounded church. Would you like to gain the insight and the fellowship of a guy, of an old man that walks so closely like the Apostle John? Well, you can. We take this journey together. You can fellowship. And, his, and you can fellowship with the likes of John. And his fellowship was with who? Father. And with the Son. Isn't that exciting in Galatians? It says fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely pandemic proof. Not only is it pandemic proof, we don't use circumstances of any type to give any reason why we would walk in discouragement. But like good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we access the God of heaven that wants to empower us 
He wants to embolden us and he wants to use us to spread the gospel to this needy world and to love the saints as we ought to. Honey, how are we going to love the saints? How are we going to obey God? God does not give us his instruction of fellowship so we can learn something. Just to know something. That would be Gnostic. Knowledge. Just focused on the knowledge. He gives it so we can obey something. What will you obey? Would you like to gain the insight of John? You can hang with him. And our lives can be transformed as we heed this last word to the church, or one of the last words. You hang out with First John and you hang out with Jesus. You hang out with Jesus, you're hanging out with the Father. And your life will be radically changed. I've been told that this should be kind of interesting because I was so intrigued by this Jesus is the vine thing. And I know Dante did an awesome job talking about the I Am series, which is one of the I Am's. Um, I was so intrigued by that. I had been told that what First John should actually be read in parallel with the, um, the section of Scripture where Jesus is the vine and John, which I really see the connection there. Because remember, one of the big themes that we were talking about was joy. When we fellowship with God, we're going to have this contagious, evangelistic, effective joy. I see this in some of you guys. Regardless of circumstance, I see it transforming your families. As you fellowship with God and there's joy in the home. It's world-changing stuff. The second stated reason why this book was written. First is that there'd be fellowship with the Father. Second is that our joy would be complete. Lord Jesus, thank you, God. God, I pray that be your spirit and your person. God, I pray that it's so central, God, that you, that we would honor you as the word, the message, the story of life. And we wouldn't have a false story, Lord, that has more to do with us. God, that we would be in love with you, the true vine, the bread of life. God, born a woman, fully man, born of the, from the Father, fully God, redeems us, purchases us, fills us with your spirit. God, help us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Good morning. I was always reluctant to do this song because I always looked at